Hello and welcome to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan and beside me is Ben all the way back in Ohio um, <laughs> and here I am in Nebraska living through a real life blizzard uh, and thank you so much for joining us as we talk about our passion for the past while being young at heart. So uh, you know I, I've been listening to podcasts where it's like how to make a good podcast and one of the biggest things is being consistent and uh, we missed our release last week so we apologize but we're glad to be back um, <laughs> as always. Uh, and we're going to give a quick and dirty rundown of uh, the Mafia. So we're going to have a Mafia special, um, probably this episode as well as our next one, where this one, quick and dirty overall of who the Mafia was, what it was, uh, what they had their hands in, and then a quick timeline of important events uh, pertaining to the Mafia. And then the follow-up episode will dive more into you know the prominent figures of uh, what we know as the Italian-American Mafia um, today and throughout history. So, without further ado, Ben, how are you doing today? Well, I'm very sick on a Monday, so it is what it is. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. I'm sick too. But the, the cool thing about being sick is that I feel like our voice is always lower than usual. There you go. We got good voices for radio so, now. <laughs> we got we got amazing radio voices. Um, oh, my God. All right. We're going to stop <laughs> rambling on. Uh, I guess we can just dive right in here and, and get started. So we'd like to bring you know more of the, the half-hour shows that Young Nostalgia was known for um, in its prime or <laughs> in its beginning, I guess. Um, so we're going we're gonna to try and short it up for you guys so you guys don't have to, have to listen to us ramble on so much. All right, take us off. Okay, um, just a general overview of the mafia or the mob, commonly called as well. Um, is a type of organized crime syndicate whose primary activities are um, <clears throat> protection racketeering, uh, arbitrary disputes between criminals, and organizing and overseeing the illegal agreements, transactions, um, drug deals, any sort of illicit behavior. They're kind of overseeing that. Um, <clears throat> they often uh, engage in a lot of secondary activities such as gambling, uh, loan sharks, uh, drug trafficking, like I said, prostitution, fraud, um, all very, very common uh, activities for uh, the the mafia. Um, and, yeah. and the actual, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's. Uh, I was just going to kind of piggyback off of how, how it's interesting how their main thing is protection racketeering. Um, and it's almost like, you know, they get their foot in the door where it's like, hey, if you want to be protected, pay us money. And then they start turning the business into, you know, like a front for money laundering or something like that. Like right. it, it always starts out with the protection, but then it, it, it just branches out from there. Oh, yeah. You know, once their foot's in the door, it's it just kind of it just kind of takes over to every aspect of of the underground, basically. <laughs> um, really, the, the term mafia was originally very specific to the uh, Sicilian mafia, uh, which, of course, originated in Sicily. Um, but it's really expanded uh, to cover a lot of organizations that kind of have the sim uh, a very similar background and purpose. Um, for example, uh, example, there's the Russian mafia, there's the Japanese mafia, um, <clears throat> and the criminal organizations themselves have their own, uh, have their own terms. Uh, you know, the, the Sicilian mafia, mafia and the Italian American mafia, um, <clears throat> refer to their organizations as Cosa Nostra. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> 
when when it's just used alone without any sort of uh, adjective or modifier, the maf- mafia or the mafia, um, it typically refers to the uh, the specific Sicilian mafia or the overall Italian American mafia, um, and sometimes also refers to the Italian organized crime in general. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's super interesting just how, I mean, we'll read more into like how the word mafia and the significance of mafia actually had kind of a different connotation uh, for, for what it was supposed to mean until like when all the Italian immigrants came over after the Civil War. That's kind of when the word mafia kind of turned into what we know it to be today. Um, and, and really, the Sicilian Mafia was was huge in government too in Italy, where sometimes mm-hmm. they would turn to the Sicilian Mafia to you know settle governmental disputes and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, they had uh, it kind of went both ways. The the politicians would use the Mafia for their individual gain, and then on the other hand, the Mafia really had a lot of politicians kind of in their back pocket. Um, and could kind of steer things however they wanted it to go and however it would most benefit um, benefit the family. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> All right, so kind of when, I, when we were dipping into the origin of, of the mafia connotation, so the word mafia is actually derived from the Sicilian adjective mafioso, um, which roughly translated means swagger, but can also be translated as boldness or bravado uh, in reference to a man, uh, mafioso, Oh, mafioso in Italian, um, in 19th century Sicily signified fearless, enterprising, as well as proud. I mean, you can almost see in like, let's take the most picturesque mob, like Italian American mobster that you could think of. They got the, um, you know, the bowler hat, the trench coats with um, the vest and tie underneath with Tommy <laughs> guns. It's like it encompasses those original meanings of mafioso where it's like fearless enterprising where you know they they're all about money where's the money um you know how is that flowing and then kind of like you know bold boldness they had the they had a certain way of acting um and and that's kind of where they got their uh where they got their persona that's what i was trying to say yeah right right And, and you know every one of those uh I don't really want to call them definitions, but the translations of those words. I mean, if you like, you're talking about, you know, you think of a, a classic, um, a uh, an old gangster or a member of the mafia. You know that pretty much describes them to a T. All of them really <laughs> kind of fit. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty. Uh, it's a a uh, a pretty direct translation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so in large groups, uh, so pretty much the origin of, of the Italian-American mafia. So large groups of Italian migrant workers, primarily from the south of the country, first arrived here in the U.S. due to a labor shortage, um, especially after the U.S. Civil War. The end of slave labor and the hundreds of thousands killed in the war caused the shortage. So as immigrant laborers from Sic- uh, Sicily arrived, they were met with prejudice and d- discrimination, which kind of... I mean, this is diving more into a different topic where you kind of see, you know, a cycle where it's like immigrants or you know people who aren't looked as equal kind of are in the inner city and then it like merges out and then the demographics change consistently. Um, and this is kind of where it started with the Italians when they immigrated over. 
Um, so this is where the Sicilian word mafiusu began to change from the positive connotation, which was put back into Sicily um, in the Italian original mob, um, to the negative and shortened one of mafia here in the U.S., so really based out of the Italian ghetto neighborhoods in New York's East Harlem, Lower East Side, and Brooklyn, um, these Italian immigrants who started, you know, down this fine line of underground crime, they were known as mafia, which turned into a negative commentation. Well, you know, if you, you kind of look at it, you know, this kind of the emergence of these organizations is kind of human nature when you think about it, like, that you have these people who are coming from, you know, you're in a, a foreign country. Well, they're foreign to them. So, I mean, uh, they're in a new country. And, you know, they come here, they have little to nothing. You know, everything they had was, you know, put towards the trip to come over here. And, you know, they're the minority and they, they just don't have much. The only thing they have is each other. And they end up, you know, kind of coming together and sticking together. And that's just to to get by and to make ends meet. And, you know, that uh-huh. just kind of gradually morphs into this organization where they're, you know, eventually pretty prosperous, you know, but you can, you can easily tie it back to, you know, the, the whole formation of the idea. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even like coming from Sicily, like the Sicilian mafia, we'll talk about it in a little bit when we get into the timeline, but there was so much structure and rules when it came to how the mafia was organized. Oh, yes. So, I mean, just like you were saying, just a way to keep your head afloat in such a, a new world for them, it's easy to turn to that route of crime. But we haven't really seen organized crime, like what the mafia brought um, to New York until the Italian, Italian immigrants really brought that structure. Right. Um, <clears throat> looking back more into uh, a little bit more modern times, uh, the mafia is still currently still currently active, um, mostly in the northeastern United States, in the United States, especially in New York City, uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Buffalo, New England, um, and as well as uh, areas such as uh, Boston, Providence, and Hartford. Um, but it does kind of stretch west a little bit as well, um, in west and Midwest. Um, with Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, and a lot of those those other, basically any big prominent city you can think of, um, has, you know, a, a just has has a little bit of uh, mafia influence in it, um, and you know it might be kind of small time local kind of thing, but it's it, it's still there and it's all kind of part of a a bigger picture. Um, really, at the mafia's peak, there were there were around 26 uh, cities uh, or more uh, around the United States with the Cosa Nostra families. Um, There are many more offshoots and associates in other cities. So there's roughly 26 cities that had kind of the base family with they, they kind of spread their fingers out into other cities and sprawled out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of more. Um, There are, uh, Five main New York mafia families. Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, they are known uh, uh, originally, <laughs> very original name here, uh, as the Five Families: uh, <laughs> the Gambino, uh, the Lucies, the Genovese, the Genovese, the Bonanna, and the Colombo families. 
I think it was uh, uh, Genovese. Genovese. Yep, yeah. you are correct. I read that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the mafia families, uh, they have their own territories, and for the most part, they operate independently. Um, but they do, uh, they do have a coordination and communication system, um, which is overseed by the commission. Uh, something that we'll talk about a little bit more uh, here in a few minutes, um, which pretty much consists of the bosses of each of the strongest families coming together and to help um, settle differences and you know, keep the violence to a minimum. <clears throat> yeah, which is, I, I think it's so is, interesting. So for how how much you were saying is is how big it actually was, of how how many like they have major hubs in these cities, which. Obviously, a lot of them are on the coast, so it's huge, uh-huh. like shipyards, things like that. And then they have associates in smaller places where the main, you know, the main bases in the bigger cities kind of get the get the wheel going. But then all the associates in the smaller areas, they're they're the ones that probably do the dirty work with getting the protection racketeering and you know that kind of thing, where they can mm-hmm. branch out more and have the name of the family spread faster. Right. And, you know, it, it, it is crazy spread out like that. And that's just in the United States that we were talking about. You know, I mean, these these organizations, they spread out to their home countries, to other foreign countries. I think there's um, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of coordination with uh, South America as well with, you know, especially when it comes to drug trade and that sort of thing. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, You're right. And so, it, I mean, it really turns into an international an international thing. Definitely. <clears throat> All right. So we're going to dive into kind of an, uh, like a, a general timeline of, of some big events throughout the mafia, um, throughout the mafia's history. So actually in January 1st, 1925. So this was, you know, by this date, Al Capone, which is a huge name in this organized crime business, mm-hmm. had completely taken control of Chicago's entire illegal liquor operations in the midst of the prohibition era when the government put a total ban on the manufacturing selling and transportation of alcohol since 1920 so Al Capone just had the entire trade and selling of illegal booze in Chicago by 1925 five years after prohibition yeah That's and you know something like prohibition you know, the, the the families and the mafia, it was already fairly well established at this time. There's plenty of other stuff to be involved with and make money on. But then Prohibition comes around. And, I mean, there's pretty much, <laughs> it leaves a perfect vacuum there for someone to swoop in and take over that market, you know. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, it, it, it maybe it's a hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing, but... It seems super obvious that something like this would happen where, you know, you'd have the underground kind of swoop in and take over this market. And now you not only have probably just as much liquor going in and out, but now you also are giving more power to the mafia. <laughs> uh-huh. Not even so, that, but like Al Capone was an absolute ruthless guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it could go, you know, either way. It's the the mafia itself isn't you know isn't known for being uh particularly uh peaceful <laughs> and that kind of segues true. into february 14th 1929 uh everyone i'm sure has heard of this the saint valentine's day massacre um which is where uh seven uh very notable mob members of the north side gang uh were murdered 
during the Prohibition era. Um, uh, the conflict was between uh, two of the most powerful criminal gangs in Chicago, uh, led by Al Capone and Bugs Moran, and the 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 deaths of deaths of the mobsters were from from the North Side gang. That was the victim of the shooting, but it was really more than two involved. There was the Chicago outfit. There was a, a group called the Egan's Rats, and as well as the Purple Gang, which is another very prominent. Um, mob around this time period and they were all really kind of involved at the same time some more than others um but they all kind of there was kind of a collusion there um all against the north side gang yeah and and, i mean if i'm not mistaken i think what it was is that part of the mafia kind of disguised themselves as security guards of policemen and then came into the shipyard and then were like pretending to arrest them, and then just pulled out their guns and shot them all. Um, and, and the cool thing is, when I went to Vegas a couple years back, if you go to like old Vegas, like downtown Vegas, they have the um, like the Mafia Museum, and they have the wall with the bullet holes from the St. Valentine's Day massacre, oh, really? along with yeah, along with like the autopsy reports of the of the guys that died, and that was really cool to see. It, I mean as horrible as it was, but it was just interesting to, to almost be as close to it as possible. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. And it's, and I, you know, I don't know about, uh, arrest looking like they're arresting them and shooting them. I think it was done indoors. They came in, there's two men, uh, dressed in plain clothes and two men dressed as police officers. Okay. And they came in and that was actually part of their getaway is they shot up the place, all four of them. And then the, Two plainclothes guys, they were just wearing hats and long coats, were being taken out and looking like they were being taken away by the police. Oh, okay. And so that was kind of their cover to get away. You know, would kind of go with the gunshots. They were arresting someone who was shooting the place up. Then that was kind of interesting that, you know, that's what they came up with. Definitely. That's awesome. All right, I'm glad I'm glad you said some more light on that. Uh, (laughs) September 10th, 1929. Um, commence of the Catamarese War. So in 1929, the Catamarese War begins, uh, which was a power struggle to control Italian-American mafia between partisans of Joe the Boss Maricia and those of Salvatore Maranzano. It was an important date because it was one of the first major battles between families of the era, which was apparent around the country. So really... This kind of started hostile mob conflicts, I guess. You know what I mean? Like actual right. families going head to head. That right. Particularly, you could see, especially out in the open. That was kind uh-huh. of a big deal with this one. Yeah, um, and and you could see it nationwide too. Like there was people dropping dead mysteriously or, or whatever nationwide due to this. Right, and you know this is kind of the first time that you know people obviously knew it was a knew it was going on you know you know it's around but it's you don't there wasn't a huge amount of public exposure um at this point in time until you know september 10th 1929 <clears throat> but uh about a year later um august 20th in 1930 uh new york new york um it really became the hub of the mafia um, so by the end of the 1920s, New York had become the 
the the base, the biggest, uh, the the biggest uh, center of organ business and organized crime, and I have to pair those together because at the time, you know, they would go so hand in hand. The organized crime would support and use the businesses, and you know, vice versa, the businesses. Um, a lot of them were a front for the organized crime. <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. And and New York being such a hub like the stock exchange and huge for government makes sense. Um, it, you know, and this is kind of where the five most powerful mafia families came about, which were huge for the commission and, and things like that. Right. So, uh, okay. Mo- so we'll- moving on a little bit into October 1st, 1931. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is kind of going along after the St. Valentine's Day massacre, um, Al Capone was actually indicted and jailed for tax evasion. You know, all of the things that he has done in his life. Um, and that was the only thing they could actually pin on him, uh, uh-huh. which effectively put an end to his powerful control over the mafia, um, for the time period. Wasn't it around this time too, that he was indicted for, uh, tax evasion, that he was suffering from syphilis kind of thing too. Uh, I believe it was. Yeah, I, was, I have heard that. And I think he died when he died. He was totally just cuckoo for cocoa puffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because because I know <laughs> I know it was you know it was pretty soon after his uh, his arrest and all that, and his power kind of came crumbling down. Right. Um, but oh my god, <laughs> uh, November first, nineteen thirty one. So the commission was made by Charlie Lucky Luciano. So now Lucky Luciano is is a pretty prominent name in terms of mafia, especially when it comes to like the Las Vegas scene too and New York. So he established the commission for a place uh, of representatives from the main five families of the mafia who are in New York and other families across the U.S. to meet and they would settle disputes between each other and peacefully talk out their issues. So this was created, uh, this created a hierarchy of power as well as rules of operation. So even though the mob was very structured in terms of like family structure, there wasn't too much, there wasn't anything to bring the mafia as a big lump to be on the same page. And so Lucky Luciano saw that, you know, there's probably some senseless killing, there's probably more money to be made together than being against each other all the time. So he created the commission to be able to bring voices of each family to the table um, and, and settle disputes in a peaceful manner. Right, and he saw it as just being you know, better for everyone to be able to have this forum to work things out you know, rather than just gunning each other down in the streets. Exactly. <clears throat> and, I mean, and if you're thinking as a mob, as a mob boss, it's more of like you don't, you don't, it's like you're losing too, so you don't mind killing other people. But if you kill other people, they're gonna kill you. So it's like it's a lose lose situation. So yeah, he does, it's just doesn't a want vicious to... cycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so actually, looking back later in the same month, on November twenty first of nineteen thirty one, you know, we have the conclusion of the Castello Maurice War, um, where uh, Maranzano's faction uh, eventually won, which ended up making him the uh pretty much the boss of bosses and he had the ability to control other families over the united states um it wasn't long though before he was uh, eventually murdered um and lucky luciano uh 
you know, was lucky Luciano um, had established the commission. And the commission, it wasn't something that was just, it wasn't uh, established right off the bat. Like, he didn't just wake up one day and, you know, design this thing. It was kind of took a little while to get put into place and come to fruition, but this was really kind of that his murder was kind of the spark that kind of everyone saw that we need something like this. We need, you know, this kind of thing has to stop. We need to have this organization that will, uh, it'll let us, you know, kind of find better ways of, uh, settling disputes. Yeah, exactly. I think it was just kind of the tipping point of, uh, right. Of, of the, of what needed to be done. Exactly. Uh, August 20th, 1933. Uh, this is when prohibition has ceased. So when alcohol ceased to be prohibited in 1933, the mafia uh, diversified its money, making methods into such activities um, as illegal gambling operations, loan sharking, extorting, pr- uh, protection rackets, drug trafficking, fencing, and labor racketeering through control of labor unions. So they pretty much continued down the same path of you know what what the mafia was but just due to like the lack of money coming in to the pro- from the prohibition area era and selling the booze they had to like concentrate their power in, in different ways to to make up for that loss of money so a lot of it which is really cool is like control controlling labor unions so by like shoving money into labor unions they're getting money out by controlling where the labor goes pretty much right Right. And, you know, all of those things, you know, there's really was no choice for them to ramp up when the money from uh, selling and transporting uh, booze dried up. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, and I, I heard if families didn't change with the times in terms of like prohibitions over, if they try to keep on making money off of booze, they would just fizzle out and just be overpowered and, and absorbed by another family because they're not making the money that was needed. Oh yeah, I mean, well, it's not illegal anymore, and so people aren't willing to pay that that top price for it, you know, because you can just go down the road to the bar or to the store, you know. It's yeah, it's it it totally ruins what everything that they had they had going at the time. Yep. On June twentieth, nineteen thirty-five. Skipping forward ahead a little bit. Nineteen thirty-five. Excuse me. I think I said twenty-five. Um, an attempt to combat organized crime in New York. Um, so in June 1935, New York Governor Herbert H. Lehman uh, appointed U.S. Attorney Thomas E. Dewey as a special prosecutor to combat organized crime in New York City. Um, and this is kind of special because it's one of the first attempts to really control uh, the mafia, specifically the Luciano family um, of the time. And kind of you know is always kind of seen as you know we need to do something about you know what's going on but this is really the first time that there was a major step forward in any sort of initiative taken to kind of combat to come combat um the organized crime problem yeah and and in such a public eye too so it was really hard on their families to be able to do their work because everyone was like backing dewey and and really wanted to crack down on this so it was hard for the mafia to almost work in plain sight i guess if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah they had to i mean you just had to kind of they had to get a little bit more careful on uh what they let out there and and what uh and who they kind of allowed themselves to associate with yeah 
So just over a year later, actually, July 18th, 1936, this is when Lucky Luciano was actually convicted. So he was sentenced to 30 to 50 years in prison for a compulsory prostitution. (laughs) (laughs) Well. I mean, you know, it's not funny, but I don't know. It's just kind of a funny name for what he did. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) But, I mean, even from behind bars, I was watching a documentary about how he was still so powerful behind bars. Like he was still pretty much involved in and in leading the family as a boss from behind bars. And like even when he was in like prison and jail, his whole cell was decked out with a great bed. He has end tables, lamps, <laughs> rugs. Like he was living the life in prison because he had the the money and the connections inside. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that before about several other uh, crime bosses. I think Al Capone was very similar as well. I uh-huh. think his his cell, you know, he had a fancy rug and a nice end <laughs> table with a lamp and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, totally not surprising in the least. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving forward quite a bit, we have August 20th, 1946. Luciano is actually released. Um, and in 1946, he was deported from the U.S. to Italy. Um, never to return again. Uh, but from Italy, he also became a extremely vital middleman between the La, Cosa, uh, La Casa Nostra um, and the Sicilian Mafia organization. So he be, kind of became the, the 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 bridge between the two. The uh, kind of facilitated the communication and the coordination between the two um, the two mafia faction, factions. Dang, just the Luciano name, is, is it holds so much power. I mean, he was across the pond and could still have his hand in so many so many aspects of everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, so for someone like him getting deported, you know, it totally does not ruin you in the <laughs> slightest. Not at all. Um, August 20th, 1951, Declaration of Mafia by Senate. So in 1951, the U.S. Senate actually declared that a sinister criminal organization known as the Mafia operated throughout the nation. So this was the most official recognition recognition of the Mafia nationwide, which is really pretty cool. Um, I mean, like, you know, it, it's been recognized in, in places like New York where it was a big hub, but really nationally, they didn't recognize it as like a problem until 1951. Right. And, you know, something like that, you know, it kind of puts the, the mafia out on the radar. But, you know, in, in reality, it doesn't really do a whole lot just throwing it out there that there are these sinister criminal organizations operating, you know, on American soil. And so we don't really see a whole lot of, you know, major breakthroughs in in fighting this until six years later on August 20th, 1957. Uh, where the New York police arrest uh, quite a few major crime bosses. So they ended up uh, uncovering a major meeting of boss and mafia family figures from around the country in a small upstate New York town. Uh, uh, Many of the attendees ended up being arrested, and the event really kind of changed the way law enforcement battles organized crime. Um, You know, you kind of stop trying to catch them on the small time little stuff here and there and you end up just kind of figuring out where they're all going to be all at once yeah you just kind of bust in and try to round up as many as you can yeah it's almost like guilty by association <laughs> yeah but, uh... <laughs> you know it, 
and you know, it was really pretty obvious you know i mean around the time period it's if you were associated with these people it was pretty well known that you know you're a shady individual <laughs> <laughs> but it still looks classy <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh man august 20th so, 1960 what who's got oh, no, this one go, go ahead go ahead okay all right august 20th 1963 <laughs> joe valanci sequels um oh he, joe squeals. valanci squeals <laughs> So, uh, in 1963, a mobster by the name of Joe Valanci revealed the presence of uh, Omerta Law, which is the oath or code of silence to never talk to the authorities, um, and, and he revealed this to Congress, thus breaking this vow of secrecy. So, he did so to avoid a jail term to which the law enforcement authorities were then of the knowledge of such a strong organization uh, for what the mafia was. So, Valanci was the first known mobster to reveal this law um, within the American mafia. So, he broke the code, which then further led to other mobsters snitching to avoid sentences. So, really, <laughs> Joe Valanci was pretty much the the uh, pioneer of, of uh, taking plea deals, I guess, for the mafia, where you tell us more about the organization, we'll save you. And some sort of not giving you jail time or shortening your sentence or something like that. You know, it's just interesting that it took that long before anyone, you know, ended up snitching like that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure there was double crosses and all that kind of thing between families. I'm sure that happened quite a bit. You know, people playing the double agent kind of deal. Yeah. Um but, you know, I mean, from even when we first started talking about this, what was it, 1925, I think, was our first event on the uh, timeline. And it took, you know, almost 40 years later before anyone actually took a plea deal with police. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even now, let's say if, if these guys would have done, like, done this in the 80s or the 70s, like, they have to be on... Um, like witness protection for the rest of their oh, lives yeah. because you know these these mob families are going to be after them <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and uh and you know that kind of leads a little bit into uh our our final element of the timeline we have uh october excuse me october 15th 1970 the rico act was in a, uh, enacted so the rico stands for uh, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, um, which is a law that provides for extended criminal penalties and civil cause of action for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. Uh, in the 1970s, it was used to prosecute many members of the mafia in New York and Chicago. So basically what this is saying in kind of a, a simplified terms is that if it was it proved that you were part of an ongoing, uh, long-running organized uh, crime organization. They could they were legally able to give you harsher. Uh, har- it was easier to convict you, and it was you could receive harsher sentences. Yeah, and, and that was amazing. And I mean, we well we always talk about Nixon in every episode, so might as well say <laughs> it. Nixon was in office when Rico was enacted. So I guess that was a positive. <laughs> it was. And, you know, it kind of talks about the uh, the plea deals in the last, you know, in August uh, of 1963. 
And, you know, I, I, you kind of can't help but to think that, you know, this RICO Act probably had a, uh, a big part in a lot of subsequent uh, plea deals after that, you know, realizing what could happen if they were caught kind of uh-huh. sweetens the pot a little bit for a, a plea deal with the law enforcement. Yeah, definitely. And, and even then, it's like, yeah, it, it definitely sweetens it because it, it widens the aspect of the confession to, right. oh, well, he said this name in this confession, but also hinted at this guy. So we could probably do that like civil and, and uh, criminal as well. So, oh, yeah. yeah, of course. Neat. All right. So we're <laughs> pretty much on par for time. Uh, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us here on Young Nostalgia this week as we continue our journey through retro pop culture as always if you really enjoy the show uh leave a kind review on apple Podcasts. so wherever you listen we're out there on Podbean, google play spotify as well as stitcher we really do uh want those reviews we haven't gotten any yet on apple Podcasts. i mean it's something that we've been waiting for we just want to hear some you know good feedback from everybody uh to, to see how we're doing so we can kind of gauge shows to you know what you like what you don't like and uh how to go forward from here. But if you have an idea for a show or you'd like to talk to Ben and I, give us an email at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. That was uh, the episode one of the Mafia special. Uh, we'll see if we can't dive in a little bit more and, and keep it to a half hour at least. <laughs> yeah, there, there's plenty of more uh, plenty of more history that you know we could fill Mafia shows with. Definitely. Later on. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's such a, such a wide, wide topic and, and fun to talk about. Uh, Anything else, big guy? Nope. I think we covered it all for the night. Sounds great. (laughs) And as we always say here on Young Nostalgia, keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 